I'll always tell it like it is. That's the bottom line. If you just live it to exist, you want borrowed time. Don't ever let them take your soul. No, no, no. Don't ever let them take your soul. No, no, no. I'll always tell it like it is. That's the bottom line. If you just live it to exist, you want borrowed time. Don't ever let them take your soul. No. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Walbrick here, and welcome back to The Bottom Line. Uh, it's been a little while since we've been together. A uh, lot going on in the world still. I think the last show we did, we kind of thought we were seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and we were coming out of this thing, and uh, and we're still we're pretty knee-deep in it, although I, I do think that things are looking much more hopeful. Um my guest today is somebody that I am so excited to talk to, so, much, so excited to, to hear from, to, to learn about his journey. Um, I think a lot of it has been very public, and, uh, and I think that I, and doing my research, I thought I knew a lot uh, about my guest, but I was wrong. And I, and I dug in a little bit, and uh, I'll give you just some of the highlights, some of the credentials so you know who we are talking about. Um, and as soon as I introduce him, clearly you'll know who he is because he is uh, an extremely well-known gentleman. Um, my guest is Mr. Joe Namath, winner of Super Bowl number three, MVP of Super Bowl number three, and guarantor of winner of Super Bowl three, which was, is just so awesome. I just love that story. Um, but maybe what you didn't know about Joe is, uh, Joe is from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Joe also had several offers to play professional baseball, which I did not know. And I was, I was very, um, surprised to find that out. Also, Joe won a national title with Alabama. So you must be pretty happy today, Joe, because Alabama just won another one. Um, but you played for Paul Bear Bryant, which is another, must be like a badge of honor, I would think, right? He's a very famous football coach. Jim, I tell you what, uh, he influenced so many young men in the right direction, man. I tell you, I mean, uh, when I think of my life, it uh, started at home, of course, with my parents and teaching me respect uh, for other people. I could see it through my dad with the people he ran around with, to my high school football coach. Uh, to my college coach and uh, ultimately pro coach, I had some great leaders mm -hmm. that I had to listen to. I mean, I was taught to listen to your older folks, your teachers. Uh, when I say teachers, I wasn't too sharp in school. I, mm -hmm. I, I was thinking about getting out and playing ball after school most sure. of the time. But Paul Bear Bryant was wonderful and uh, not too many days go by that uh, he doesn't cross my mind when something comes up. Mm. Wow, that's, that's, that's beautiful. Um, so a few more credentials are uh, you were voted top 100 football players in the history of the NFL, which is quite an honor when you think about all the guys that played in the league, right, over all these many years. And then... I turn over the page 
And uh, you have 176 credits on IMDb. So IMDb is, is kind of my place, right? That's my, what the business I'm in, right? And I had no idea how much stuff you had actually done. You were nominated for a Golden Globe. I mean, that's, 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 that's a high honor, right? To be nominated for a Golden Globe. So you did it well. It seems to me, Joe, that you did mostly everything that you did that at least other people could see, you did well. You did quite well. You put the work in. Well, you know, I, I, I wish I had. I wish I had been more educated in some of the things that I had taken on that uh, was given to me, the opportunity in some of the, uh, the theater productions, the movies, uh, those kind of uh, uh, ventures, adventures for me. Uh, I, I going back, yeah. I, I would have studied more. I would have uh, gone to school and then listened. What are pictures about? You know what? It, I didn't know stage up, left, right, down to begin with the first time I was on the boards. But I was given opportunities because of the people that I met because of football, because of sports. There was a gentleman named David A. Sonny Werblin, who was the owner, one-fifth one owner of the New York Jets whenever I was a senior in college. And he talked to Coach Bryant and drafted me even on a, uh, a leg that needed an operation. I already had torn ligaments and all. And Mr. Werblin, uh, man, he, he came from Music Corporation of America, so to speak. He was from back east, but he and Wasserman had uh, uh, ties to actors, acting, you know, and uh, uh, he opened the door for me to meet and do Johnny Carson several times, David and all. I, I really owe it to, uh, owe it, uh, I mean, the two-way street uh, mm. worked out what I did with the team, what we did together. But uh, I honest to God, I'm grateful because I know it's not about all Joe, mm. you know? And that'd be not balanced, really. And, and you had to learn these things. It's not about me, mm. only me. <laughs> Man, I, I don't know where I would be without listening. And having respect for folks that I was taught to have respect for. Does that understanding that you, that it's not just about you, does that come with age and experience? When you were a young man, right? Because when you're young, it's like, I'm going to take on the world, right? I'm, I'm the star athlete. All these things are going great. I'm a handsome young man about to take on the world. Do you think at that point it's all about me? And does it, no, so you always felt that way. You always felt like it's not all about me, that these people had such a, an influence on me that you knew it at a young age. Jim, three older brothers, man, six, nine, and 12 years older than, <laughs> than me. And my sister, we adopted, and she was six years older than me. Uh, my mother had four boys and uh, finally decided to have a girl. And so when Rita was, and we adopted her and I was about four there at the time. And uh, it was never all about me, man. You know, my brothers mm. would say it was, uh, they would say that I, my folks 
petted me and took care of me. But uh, uh, I was lucky. Sports, sports was a basis along with the respect that my father showed to somebody walking down the street. Mm. Hey, you know, you know, just we're in a car, and I know the guy can't hear him, and I'm a kid, and he said. Yes, hey, you know, that kind of answer. What's my dad thinking about there, <laughs> you know? Mm. Uh, but the, the respect, uh, the knowing that I, I, it wasn't all about me, but I wanted it to be a lot about me as a ball player. Sure. I wanted to stand out. I wanted to get a pat on my back. And uh, I, it's still with me today, the first Little League baseball game that I was able to see my name in the newspaper afterwards. The next day, I looked at the box scores and I saw my name, man. I said, wow, look at that. And then I looked at that bats. I was up four times and I got two hits. And my brother, Bob, who was nine years older than me, came in, he was working over at the Boundary. After work, he came in and I just showed him, I said, hey, Bob, look, look, look at the paper, there's my name. And he looked at the paper and he looked up at me. He said, what happened about the other two times you didn't get hit? And man, I was crushed. I was crushed. I didn't perform it. I had to And now... It was never all about me, but I did want to stand out. I did want to get that pat on the back, and I found some ways to to, to do it. Mm. You know, one of the one of the things that I have here on my notes that I thought was really impressive was a compliment that Coach Bryant paid to you that you were the best athlete that he had ever coached. Well, I know better than that. I mean, I mean, I appreciate that. I think Coach Bryant was trying to help me out there uh, after I had gotten injured. You know, I was a different player before I got injured. But I, I could play. Yeah, I could play. I mean, you get a basketball court, I could dunk with, you know, I had big, big enough hands to palm the ball in high school, I could dunk. Uh, I can remember the first time I dunked two hands, you know, wow, I could do that. I was in college, wow. you know, it started to dunk two hands, but, uh, and I was quick, quick as a cat, quick as a cat. You know, I had decent speed, good speed and uh, everything Coach Brian asked me to do. Yeah, I wanted to do it. I, I was ready to do it, whether it was playing defense, catching punts and uh, whatever he wanted me to do, uh, I, I learned to listen to him and give it a shot because I knew he knew what he was talking about. Mm. He had two Western Pennsylvania quarterbacks before I went to the University of Alabama in the heart of Dixie. And uh, one was a guy named George Blanda. You may remember George Blanda. He played a little bit longer than Tom Brady has right now. I think mm. George was 46. But uh, he had uh, Coach Bryant as a coach at Kentucky, and George was from right outside of Pittsburgh. And Vito Bay Pirelli was another quarterback that played up in New England area and pro mm -hmm. ball, of sure. course, with the Patriots, and uh, was also at Kentucky, the Kentucky Bay. Well, Coach Bryant had two Pennsylvania quarterbacks before old Joe came along. You know, mm -hmm. those guys were 10 years older than. And I, and 20 in George's case, 
So he knew something about uh, Western PA players and um, he gave me a chance, man. And uh, it, it, was, uh, it was great education. And I made a lot of friends in Alabama, teammates and all. And uh, you, it was confirmed again and again and again, it's not about me. It's about us, mm. how we do it, you know? And uh, that's life. That's what I believe about life, how we do things. So, Joe, this show and my audience are a particular audience of folks that uh, have a commonality, if you will, right? We talk about uh, recovery and addiction on this show all the time and from people from all walks of life. And, um, you know, being a public figure, you've sort of been public about your difficulties and overcoming your difficulties. And uh, we'd love to talk to you a little bit about that and maybe just have you, I like to just give the floor to my guests and just to say, hey man, tell us your story. Tell us what, as it relates to these issues, just tell us what it was like, what happened and what it's like now for you. So ladies and gentlemen, fans of the bottom line, Joe Namath. You know, um, Jim, I, I experienced morphine uh, in the hospital when I had my first knee operation and the doctors warned me about the morphine whenever they'd stop taking me off it. But I, I can also remember my grandfather giving me my first drink when I was about six years old. He had a shot glass with some rock and rye in it. And being a Western PA, the relatives from Maslin, Ohio, drove down and had a little shot glass and gave it to the, you know, to take a sip. Yeah, and I did. Uh, drinking, uh, cigarette smoking. I mean, we didn't have a fear and education or know about what it could do, how addictive, uh, how, how addictive sugar is. See, because it's in both of those things. And I've often told my children the two most addictive illegal substances are sugar and nicotine. Now, there may be some other ones, but I experienced those big time in my life. And uh, I'm lucky to be here. I am lucky to be here, man. I, I know. I, I never hurt anyone. I was... Thank God I didn't have the kind of accidents that took someone else's life or hurt somebody when I was behind the wheel of a car. Um, I, 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 I'm lucky. I just uh, lucked out. And uh, I, I, the nicotine I was able to, to stop uh, back in the 60s uh, and, and went 10 years without smoking. And then one day I'm driving home from a studio out in LA and uh, I had this headache that was beating in my head. Why? Be because on the set, you sit around a lot, you know, and there's a lot of downtime and a couple of ladies were smoking these, these, these Sheridan, whatever, they were like wrapped in dark paper and all. And I said, let me borrow, let me have one of those. And I smoked one after 10 plus years of not smoking. I ended up buying a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> After 10 years, 
Now I'm gone driving back home. My head is pounding and I'm reaching for my package of cigarettes. And I, I right away said, wait a minute. Oh, I took the darn things man, I squashed them up and threw them down. I hadn't had that kind of headache in, in, in a long time. And it dawned on me that restricting the blood flow to my head, all that kind of stuff, I blamed it on. So I was able to stop that again. But drinking, uh, drinking was another uh, game, uh, game, hey, I, I, Jim, I do say life is the big game. So drinking is a part of the big sure. game, it was for me. And uh, after I had uh, uh, taken a wife, we got together and started a family. <laughs> had a, my first daughter, Jessica, and she was uh, almost three years old. And I, I think she was about two years old. And my wife told me I had a problem with drinking. I said, oh, no, man, <laughs> I don't have, no, no, no. I, I don't have a problem with drinking. And and uh, then she told me again. And then she told me again. And so, you know, to try and keep things uh, 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 workable, you know, I, I, okay, let me go find out. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she told me to go uh, sit down and talk to a, a fellow out in Westwood, a psychiatrist, psychologist, some. Uh, you know, where we just sit and talk about things, about why am I drinking or all. Oh, and uh, he convinced me that it wasn't really uh, the right thing to do. I left his office. I went downstairs, walking to my car at the package store. I went and bought a pint, a pint of vodka so I could drink it before I got home. You see, you couldn't smell vodka, mm. supposedly. But she supposedly. Said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she could. And uh, she uh, figured out that, she, that I was drinking and, and lying, uh, it, it didn't work, you know. I, uh, I, I, I couldn't uh, look her in the eye and lie to her. Uh, so I did. I stopped drinking for 13 and a half years. Mm. Stone, sober, quit. And then found a reason to go back and drink. And, and that's what I learned through AA. That's what I learned with talking to folks uh, that had addiction problems of different kind. And we know the drugs, man, voice uh, that I, I feel really angry to a degree, a big degree, and bad for the people that don't understand or feel those changes in their physiology and even mental approach when they take a pill. Mm. You know, Oxycontin was one that I was not only took because of some hand surgeries that I had, but I recognized what it was doing to me. And then I, I went back, uh, a year later, two years later, to have a hip done, and they gave me the same medicine, and I didn't take it. My daughter poured it down the commode. People that don't understand how easy it is sometimes to be addicted to something, 
I my heart goes out to them, boy. Read about what you take. I I have a pill book in my kitchen now, man. You know, I I, I go to that every time. So uh, I had some struggles, uh, you know, not giving darn about some things and drinking again. Uh, the last time, uh, it's, I guess it's been 20 years now or 18 years, uh, I did something, uh, went to a football game back uh, in New York, started in the morning, uh, a little vodka, vodka and grapefruit juice, you know, I did just get to the stadium. I have a guy that's assigned to me and all, and it's already noon, so a glass of wine would be good. And then, uh, you know, a couple more glasses of wine. And, uh, and then all of a sudden at halftime, I do something, I get interviewed and uh, embarrass the lady that was interviewing me and, and my family and my friends and all. And uh, when I saw that, uh, I knew I needed help. Mm. I knew I needed help. I reached out and uh, went and got an education is what I called it because I never really had an education, uh, an understanding of the various ways you can get trapped or the various ways you can correct yourself, correct thing. And uh, what I ultimately uh, figured out, it, it was for me, but it was for me. It was for my children. It was for my grandchildren. I think it, sometimes have to find something more important than ourselves. And uh, a lot of folks, you know, they're, they're down and out, man, and uh, they don't have something to grasp onto, uh, a love for somebody that's so important, there's something that's so important that will help them stop abusing themselves. Uh, so I, I, I thank God every day, several times, I know it's not about old Joe. I know it's been uh, fortunate for me to uh, have lived the life that I have, gotten education several times. And as I mentioned earlier, Jim, never hurt anybody physically. See, that pure luck. Mm. I used to joke about being a Gemini and I'd see my two guardian angels, one here on this shoulder and one here on this shoulder about three o'clock in the morning in Manhattan while I'm trying to cross the street to get back to the house from Bachelors Three or something. They're helping me get across the street, my two guardian angels. Mm. So I, I, I had a lot of help and, uh, and I, I wanna help. I wanna help people, eh? but I don't beat them over the head with their life you know, and say, you need to do this, you need to do that. But please uh, understand if you have any inkling that you may have a problem or you want to change your ways, you can do it. Mm. You can do it because we're here. There's a team out there. We need help. We don't, doing it on ourselves, uh, on our own. I did that, I thought, for 13 and a half years. But I only did that because I had my first daughter. Mm. Jessica, and then my second daughter. And uh, then that excuse I told you about was uh, the wife and I split. So that I use that as an excuse to go back to. Mm. Yeah. Joe, 
when you were uh, when you were at the top of the sports world and you own the very famous club bar in in at that time, I have to imagine you, you talked about sort of trying to get home and your, your guardian angels. At, when you were in living that life, did you did you recognize at any time during that time that this might be a problem for me, especially with the alcohol and how much alcohol you were drinking? No, no, I, I didn't realize that. Didn't think about that. It was just the way of life. You know, when I got to New York as a 22 year old and uh, being able to be introduced to the big city uh, by folks that knew it, uh, dear friends, uh, alcohol was everywhere we went, you know, we went in restaurants and around different places. And uh, uh, it was just the way to go. And then when it came to the football, we didn't have to be at the stadium for practice. Uh, we had a coach that believed in practicing close to game time, so we didn't have to be out at Shea Stadium till noon. Mm. And and being a guy that uh, I math, numbers, quarterback, and all, I figured noon. Uh, I lived in Manhattan. It was a 20-minute drive then out to Shea, so if uh, I left at 11 o'clock, what time would I have to get to sleep at night to get my eight hours? Yeah, right, right three o'clock, two o'clock. So I had the nighttime to visit too. Mm. And I did, I, I went around and it, I was young. It didn't beat me up at that time. But uh, when I played football, alcohol, after a game right away in my locker, the you know equipment manager was a good buddy and he had that drink waiting for me. Came in off the field, man, whatever. It was up there at the top of my locker. Mm. Uh, it was a part of life. And again, uh, man, I'm so thankful that I don't have it. I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you talked about your wife and, and, and her sort of putting the clamps down on you, right? And we all know happy, happy wife, happy life, right? And so no sort of real recovery other than just stopping right yeah just stop it well that's what i figured i needed to do right was stop it i was afraid to go talk afraid and i was embarrassed maybe to go somewhere and spend time uh getting some reasons and sharing what problem i didn't think it was a real problem i just had to stop you know and yeah. so all right i'll stop and uh, whenever I had an urge to drink, I didn't do it because of uh, my wife and child and then two children. And, and this uh, last incident uh, uh, mentioned, uh, uh, I have grandchildren and children and uh, I knew I needed to get an education. See, I, be, I convinced myself, all right, I, I've tried this uh, myself and it worked but I needed to go get help. And I went and got help. Mm. And uh, I continue to get help. Jim, I can't tell you how many times, but more than I can count really that in an airport or a five and 10, or just being out in the street, somebody stopped me and they lean over and they say, Joe, I'm a friend of Bill. Mm. 
I said, oh, well, good. You don't have to whisper. <laughs> you don't have to whisper. That's yeah. great, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of us uh, needed some guidance and still do about a lot of things. Sure. But uh, don't be ashamed. Yeah. Don't, don't be ashamed, folks, that want to stop these addictions. Get help. It's, it's a team. This life, man. We work together. Yeah. And, and with uh, some kind of reassurance you can do it and factually know from those of us that have dealt with it and know how fortunate we are we want to see people be winners kick that stuff aside man and it can be done mm. but you need help don't don't ever be afraid of getting help hey guys jim walbrick here from the bottom line today's episode of the bottom line is brought to you by Evoke Wellness Massachusetts. Evoke Wellness Massachusetts is a 62-bed substance use disorder treatment center in Cohasset, Massachusetts. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please give them a call. Joe, you talked about the pain medication and, and being prescribed pain medication and then trying to get off it and then having them continue to prescribe it to you and having to have your daughter throw it away. You know, we're living in a country right now where we're living in the middle of an absolute epidemic, riding right alongside a pandemic, right, of people who are fully addicted to these pain medications that are given to them by doctors, right? I have a nephew who went to the hospital from, a, from an addiction treatment center. He went to the hospital. He had some medical problems. And we told the doctor, He's in an addiction treatment center. Please don't give him pain medication. The doctor sends him out of there with a prescription for 80 Oxycontins, right? Like, tell me about getting put on that pain medication. And you talked about it like you've been on some sort of pain medication through your career, right? You were introduced to morphine with surgeries and you played a very painful game. Um, you know, talk about the pain medication, getting off the pain medication and the difficulties that you had with that. I got respect. Uh, well, I was in the hospital, actually, in my first operation, and I was given morphine. And they did tell me, the doctor did tell me that, you know, we're going to wean you off of this, but that you're going to feel differently than you felt uh, uh, before. And when I was in the, that room, and it was for nothing, it was for a knee. You know, it wasn't life-threatening, it was for a knee. Uh, but I've been there and, and that brought me closer to God. I, I was always close to God, but when I was coming off of that morphine, man, I wondered, I, I was just, like I felt my insides were coming out, man. I knew I was having a problem with this, but I. I knew the doctor told me it would be this way and I got closer to God than I'd ever been. And I always had God in my life, but not, not like that time. I was just alone in that hospital room. And that's whenever we really got closer and I was able to come off it. But after that experience in the Percocet or Percodan, after game, nothing was like Oxycontin. I went to 30 years after, 40 years after, whatever, 
uh, when I first took Oxycontin, I, I caught it. I, I saw what was happening to me because I had been through some of these different pain uh, relievers. And uh, what got me first is the way my mind was working in my own backyard, taking one and I'm walking around and getting these thoughts, these strange thoughts that uh, were weird. I uh, can't even explain them right now, but as soon as those things started coming in, I, I caught it. I said, what is this? Mm. Is, is it just peel? Meantime, I, I look at my watch and I couldn't wait for the four hours to be up to take my next one. Well, th th I, I was given 80 Oxycontin pills for some surgery on my wrist mm -hmm. and hand. I got to the 79th one and I swore, I said, hey, I'm not taking that 80th one. I went back to the doctor a month later and I took the 80th one and I put it in front of him and I said, doc, don't ever give me this again. This had me and I explained to him what it did to me in my mind, but still looking for it, having the urge for it every four hours, man. And all right, well, a couple of years later, with the same doctor, we had, had an operation. And when I was able to leave that day after the operation, it was just for a, a hip. Uh, I was able to go home the next day or go out to, to an apartment in New York that we uh, had. Uh, but I couldn't fly that day. So we picked up the prescription. My daughter went and got the prescription from the drugstore, brought it back up to the apartment. She knew the story, what I explained to her about that uh, experience I had. She said, Daddy, look what they gave you. And we looked, I looked and she looked and I said, well, you know what to do. She took it, went to the bathroom and poured them in the commode. That we want to get rid of them so fast. No, not take just one. Don't, don't, don't even start again. Uh, and I called the doctor and explained it to him. I learned, Jim, I learned that, you know, these doctors are so busy sometimes that they might not even know. I mean, a prescription for one patient is automatic. You know, they have a team there too. Somebody gets a prescription, they might sign it off without even thinking about it, without even, uh, it, 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 was, uh, it was awful. And uh, I was able to get a different kind of medication that wasn't uh, addictive or anything close to that. And that's when I thought I, I learned that, boy, the, the medical stuff, man, you gotta be careful. Because an innocent person that doesn't have an education dealing with some drugs and medication, they get hooked. Right. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing, and it's a space that I'm in. I spend a lot of time talking to young people about opioids and the opioid epidemic. And, you know, for most people that have addictive uh, addiction, um, it's sort of a, it's a, it's a progressive process, right? It starts out like you talked about, smoking cigarettes, drinking, and then the drinking sort of gets out of hand and maybe you graduate to the next thing, doing drugs or smoking pot or recreational drugs, whatever it is. I feel like opioids were a game changer. 
because they took people that had never exhibited any kind of addictive nature whatsoever and were on the fast track for success in their life, whatever it was, right? And they get an injury, break an ankle, twist an ankle, whatever it was, because they were prescribing it for everything, for everything. And now you, you, you take a guy who's never experienced any kind of addictive problem in his life, and now he's fully addicted to pain medication, right? And then they cut him off, right? Because that's what happened was at a certain point, it, the, fo the focus was so on the medication that doctors were forced to cut people off. And now here's a guy that's never had any problem in his life with a needle sticking out of his arm, right? And he don't understand how or why this happened to him. Right. Um, you know, I think that what's been done to people in this country as it relates to these pain medications and all for for a dollar. Right. It was all for a dollar. Right. Just to make money. Right. Is so it's so terrible and so heartbreaking. What what's been what's been what's happened in this country. And and now that we're in this this pandemic, um, you know, I try to explain to people recovery is community, it's love, it's connection, it's friendship, right? It's, it, it, it's necessary. Those things, recovery, all of those things are necessary for recovery. And now we're living in a pandemic where they say isolation, stay away from people, don't connect with people, don't, you know. Uh, tell me about what it's been like for you, because I know you told me you hadn't been on an airplane in, in over a year right? Because you're a mover and a shaker. You're, you're a person that your job is to be out there, right? What it's been like to be sort of trapped at home and what it's been like for your recovery being trapped at home. Um, uh, I've mentioned Coach Bryant, my high school coach, Larry Bruno, the leaders, my dad, the respect uh, and understanding that uh, I don't know everything. Early on, uh, I listened to Dr. Fauci and, you know, see, and I humorously uh, just, you know, semi tell my children, uh, I, this guy, I, he's like a coach to me. I'm going to listen to him. We're going to listen to him. I've had that support from my children, my grandchildren, where we have stayed at home for the most part. I haven't been to a restaurant and I know there are people that are suffering, uh, because of the business aspect, the money, their income, they can't feed themselves, loss of jobs and all that. Uh, I know they're out there, but we can't, uh, we, we just, we're here at home. We, yeah, we'll go to gasoline station. I go to supermarket. Uh, I go, uh, uh, I guess I've been to the dry cleaners twice since a year ago, last December. A year ago, last year. <laughs> uh, man, and you mentioned we mentioned an airplane since I was 18 years old. This is the longest it's been. I came back from Alabama uh, early December of uh, 19, I guess it was. Uh, already 2019, Alabama had played Arkansas, went to Birmingham. We had a fundraiser in Birmingham for some children charities, and I flew home. Since December the 4th or 5th of last of 2019, I haven't been on an airplane. And that's the longest it's been since I was 18 years old being recruited to go to college uh, to uh, get a scholarship and play football. Uh, 
it's respecting one another, the children, my daughters, they insist on this too. And, and they have uh, believed that we can spread it. Right. How is it? How, how, right. How's it impacted your, your recovery? So you are a person that is, I assume has a, a, a community of people that you share this recovery thing with, right? From, 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 uh, from addiction, right? How, how has the isolation impacted that? How have you, have you dealt with that? Oh, I, 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 it's not a word. My life's changed. I mean, it's not even, uh, when I see people, uh, we talk about recovery, that it's good, but I mean, that's right. But, uh, I don't have any fear of any, substance abuse mm -hmm. it's not in my life sugar is the main <laughs> substance abuse and the other can be salt right you know i mean it was so addicted to salt uh, too because it's put in every food and every place you go you're getting salt i had jim i had when i went out to play my last year with the los angeles rams this is going back in 1977 the owner of the rams at that time was a gentleman named Carol Rosenblum, and he and I, he wanted to get one-on-one -on -one with me, so he had me come to his house up in Bel Air, and he and I are sitting just one-on-one, -on -one having a lunch brought to us. And as uh, the gentleman leaves and we're getting ready to eat, I reached to the salt shaker and I picked it up and he said, Joseph, put that down. <laughs> I said, sir? He said, put that down. He, he had a cardiovascular event that was attributed to high blood pressure, attributed to salt, helping uh, get that way. And I used to carry a salt shaker in my back pocket when I was a kid, man. But we went <laughs> to pick crab apples off the trees, you know, around the, I, I just put salt on everything. Uh, my, my television uh, treat with my father when we watched Death Valley Days, was a half a head of lettuce with white vinegar and salt. Man, I just loved it. Well, you know, I was able to stop using that salt shaker. When I go to the movies, which we haven't done in a good while, I will use the salt shaker a little bit on my popcorn. Yeah. But having had the experience of being able to stop something and, and mm -hmm. you know it's not good for you and you want to have your control you know, you, you, you want to believe that you're strong enough. You've got to prove it to yourself time and again. Mm. It's not just once in life, you know, it's not just with that one addiction. These things can jump on us, but once you get the, the reason to do, to do it, to stop it, and it could be your children, your grandchildren, your friend, your loved ones. You need some good reasons, I believe, other than yourself, just yourself. Mm. And, and being alone, you know, I can't imagine being alone. Loneliness, uh, people that are alone out there, please come on out. Come to, there are people that want to help you. There are people in your own locale that they have meetings every week. Don't be embarrassed about this. They're, they're, it's bigger than any one individual. Uh, please go get an education, uh, get some help and talk to people because we can overcome some of these addictions, if not all of them. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy when there's when there's an incentive program behind a particular medication, right? If you prescribe this medication X amount of times, we're gonna take you to Hawaii for a, for a conference, right? We're gonna you, we'll give you a car. I mean, the incentives that were put behind these medications by these by these pharmaceutical companies was insane. I work for a pharmaceutical company, a maker of a of a product that was an anti-inflammatory drug that I take for my arthritic condition in my knee. Mm -hmm. And I went around, they hired me. Mm -hmm. And we went, uh, I say we, uh, my best friend in the world uh, from college days, Jimmy Walsh, he and I, uh, he's Irish, Hungarian, and uh, I'm Hungarian background, you know, uh, we went all over the country talking to people about this new medication. It worked. It was good. Mm -hmm. Believed in it. And it's still out there today. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. Greed can come into play. Greed is... Uh, greed. My mom has told me, honey, money's not the root to all evil, but greed can be. Greed, greed, greed. I mean, I think about the pharmaceutical companies and I relate them to the gun companies and the cigarette companies and all these companies that knew what they were doing, the damage that they were causing, and they knew that they weren't going to go to jail for it, right? It was just going to, they were going to have to give some of the money back, right? The Purdue Farmer Company made $35 billion off Oxycontin. And when they settled with the government, it was for $8 billion. And first of all, the company didn't have $8 billion. They were already bankrupt. But the, the, the family behind the company actually only paid a fine of $225 million. And they made billions and billions of dollars. So for them to say, oh, they, they're coming after you, they're coming after you, if they know they're only going to have to pay a small portion of what they made back, it's like they've done it. We've seen it, examples of it with these big corporations time and time again. But what we don't see is them taking responsibility for the, for the damage, for the, for the lives lost, for the families destroyed, for the communities destroyed along the Rust Belt in our country, right? Those communities were decimated by these people. Your beloved Pennsylvania, right? Many parts of Pennsylvania were destroyed by, by these pharmaceutical companies, by getting everybody addicted. So it's a, it's a terrible thing. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. We need more of what you've been talking about, Joe. Yeah, well, we need more of what you've been talking about through this whole interview, right, which is integrity and knowing and being part of a team and, and not getting caught up in that greed, right? A doctor, you know, goes to school and their intention is they want to help people, right? And now they're, they're trying to maintain their business and it's a very difficult, right? Because it's a, it's a, the insurance companies don't want to pay anybody. They don't want to pay for anything, right? My, my, my belief is that insurance companies would love us all to be on medication and not going to the doctor or not going to treatment and not doing any of that, right? Just give them a little something right? Because it's cheaper for them. Because again, greed, right? And I don't want to get off the, the beaten track, but I get a little, I get a little upset and frustrated about some of the things that, uh, that go on in, uh, 
in our in our society as it relates to human beings and their suffering you know yes i, I do know I, I mean i've thought about these things too jim and uh uh it gets to the point of what, what can we do you know i mean like you're outnumbered. I mean, that there's so much strength out there in the financial support yeah. of the various uh, industries that uh, have control of this world, so to speak. I mean, we can go beyond medical and, and see some industries that are running some things that mm. uh, it's Anyway, we could do our part to try and live a clean, a healthy life. And, right. uh, and, and it's, if you haven't, then you can still try. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Change is a constant. This sounds so simple. Change yeah. is a constant. Constant. Well, let's change for the better. Hmm. Nothing stood still. That, that, that rock on the ground is eroding with the wind, with the rain, whatever, that's changing even, that rock there, man. Uh, the change is gonna take place. You're either gonna back up or you're gonna go forward. You're not gonna sit still. Mm. I mean, sitting still, uh, whoa, I can't imagine that that person will get help. I hope the person that just stops has friends, family, somebody around that tries to help them. So if we're going to change, why not try to change a little bit better? Mm. I wish I could change my golf game. You see, I'm, you the good? I'm at the worst in my life. Really? Golf. Yes. And uh, I, it's corny to bring that up, but uh, I know this change. I'm either going to keep getting worse or I'm going to get better. I talked to the golf pro two days ago, three days ago when I was at the course that I said, Lee, I want to get together with you. We got to talk. I want to get some lessons here <laughs> to try to improve. Yeah, but yeah. I love the game. I love the game. I'm not good either. I and I have friends that are amazing. My brother Mark is an incredible golfer. I'm not good. I'm a mid '90s guy, but I can't get enough of it. I'm so fully addicted to that game right now. Fresh air, getting out there, competing with yourself. Mm. to start with and then being able to have buddies or friends you like to be around with and uh, getting the edge on them or being had by them mm. you know it's wonderful sport okay so joe you're famous for for your your prediction of winning the super bowl we're sneaking up on a super bowl right now and um I'm wondering if you if, if do you have a favorite team now do you are you rooting for the guys that are playing still at this point in the season? Oh, it's changed uh, somewhat uh, to where I'm a pool for people, people that I know. Number one, I am a Crimson Tide guy. And it's a step down from the pros, you know. But uh, I do pull for the University of Alabama on a consistent basis. And the New York Jets, uh, I still <laughs> have time to that town, those fans, man, to the people there. I, I want to see the Jets get back on top. And then I know some guys, uh, and get back on top is not going to last forever. Sure. You know, Boston Celtics, how many did they win, you know? Uh, you know over the years, they're back there when our back was coaching, man, or, or yep. the Yankees, you know, how many uh, World Series they win. But it, it, competition's keen. 
And uh, I, I'm excited about the, 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 this coming Super Bowl. I'm excited when I watch these games today mm. because I've seen it evolve, man. The coaches have learned from coaches before them. The animal has been given the best nutrition training. You got to have the heart and determination to get out there. But the animal's bigger, stronger, faster overall than ever before. We're seeing the game played at a level that uh, we didn't even we didn't even think of the things they do out there today. You know, with reverse motions, going back and forth to throw the defense off. You know, got it, it's wonderful to watch. And uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, I wish I knew who was going to get there. I wish I knew who was going to win because I would call home. And tell my family, hey, you want to bet? Over the years, you know, cats would come up to me, whether it was uh, somewhere in New York, of course. Uh, what do you think, Joe? What do you think? I said, if I knew, I'd call home. <laughs> you just wow. don't know what's going to happen. Right. Well, Joe, listen, I want to I wanna thank you for uh for taking the time to uh to have this conversation with me i want to thank you for being so open and in sharing your recovery journey uh i think it's so important for for people um i think that it helps with chipping away at the stigma right when people are like you said a number of times on this thing that are alone and struggling right um that you know that this thing affects people from all walks of life right? There's no shame in it, right? The only shame is not doing something about it. And I think you really uh, put that message forth. And I really, really appreciate it. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And then, and I also want to just say that it's been an absolute joy to just spend this little bit of time with you, right? Um, you know, you are, uh, you're a gentleman. And, uh, and it's really, it's, it's a blessing for me to spend this time with you. Jim, thanks for having me. I tell you what, buddy, we talked about some things that I've never expressed to, to anyone in this way that I've been able to express with you. And again, it's uh, folks out there that are watching or listening. It, it, it's about us. It is us. Where would we be in this life? It was just me. You know, people mm -hmm. want to help. We need to reach out because we can't do everything or much of anything on our own except give a good effort mm. give a good effort so uh again for anybody that's struggling you can you can overcome it reach out and get some help wow. go back to your day enjoy yourself and uh, god bless i appreciate you thank you god bless you and yours okay take care all right jim bye, bye. Hey guys, Jim Wahlberg here from The Bottom Line. Exciting news. This week's episode is sponsored by my book, The Big Hustle, a Boston street kid's struggle with addiction and redemption. You can find it on Amazon and OurSundayVisitor.com. Check it out. Hey guys, Jim Wahlberg here from The Bottom Line. Listen, I just want to remind you, please make sure you subscribe to our YouTube page at Wall Street Productions. And I also want to remind you, push that little bell. Just push it, man. It takes one second. Then that will notify you when anything's going on with the bottom line. Thanks.